You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 19. The Woman on the Zinc Mine. From the Journal of Abigail Gray. Sixel Creek Mine, Missouri. June 3rd. 1883. We stopped for two days in Jefferson City to repair and recuperate before proceeding to meet Agent Z. Now this was something I've been looking forward to the whole trip, ever since Sarah had told me who this was. I hadn't seen or even communicated by letter or telegraph with Tabitha since we parted ways last October, but I was not at all expecting what I found. As we approached the gated-off entrance to the mine, enclosed within the choke point where the base of two great craggy mountains converged, something felt a little off. There were sentries up in the watchtowers and what seemed like a small army assembling in the central building's upper floors. Very few people walked the yard, however, and an Asian gentleman in a bowler hat opened the gate up for us after Annie approached on foot. It reminded me of Weirwood, and how we had allowed she and Butler to ride up to our front step, while I and several others kept rifles trained upon them from the roof. The fellow in the bowler, with the serious eyes and the quiet manner, was the second in command here, a Korean named Jay Hyun. He introduced us to the boss. She'll be glad to see you. Don't get her too excited, please. Emerging from the main office, her body in the full bloom of pregnancy, Steadying herself on a Winchester rifle she was using more like a walking stick, Tabitha Chorley walked forth and beamed at us. Well, look what the cat dragged in. I rushed forward and went to embrace her, holding myself back from that big soft belly and giving her a safe little cuddle. You look tremendous. I'll take that as a compliment. My companions began to emerge from Steamheart as I waved them towards us. And it was I in the sentries. Hey, Penrose. Oakley, Butler. It's good to see you. This here is Harry Arlington, Jeremy Pines, and Mr. Raven. Pleasure to meet all of you. Come on in now. She began a hobbling walk. Look at this. You did it. You did exactly what you said you were going to. And now you're administrator of a zinc mine. The zinc mine. There's a couple of others dotted around, but this is where the government gets the lion's share of its telegraph wire coating. Well, that's amazing. Uh, is everyone else inside, or... Well, that's the thing. At this, she took my hand and brought me through the doors to sit in her office, my crew following behind. Our supply line has been cut. We've had all sorts of trouble with other interested parties trying to horn in on this land and control it. The last garrison out of Jefferson City got slaughtered. We put up a bunch of dummy sentries. Those figures in the windows are all just thin sheets of wood we cut into human shapes. We have to convince anyone who might come by that we're fortified and ready to fight. Oh, shit. Shit, shit, shit. Who's out there? Some real nasty types. A lot of road agents, some... Two-bit businessmen with heavies and some... Some are barely men anymore. Call for help. That's right. Use the telegraph line to Jefferson City. We ran alongside it on the way here. I'll do the talking. I'll request us a new garrison. It's a great idea. 
It was great when I tried it three weeks ago, but nobody has come yet, except for you guys. And it definitely wasn't so great when I tried it yesterday, and the line was dead. What's your plan, then? Well, we go with what the Arlingtons laid down. This afternoon, I'll take you out to that window, and y'all can see what can be done with it. Then you drop me off here and get yourselves up to Jefferson in that fancy horse-free carriage of yours. Call up the cavalry, and then when they get to you, come right on back here, and we can have them replace the chipboard infantry upstairs. That could take days. Weeks, even. Well, we've held out so far. Seems like things are getting tight around here, though. James moved across and sat close to Tabitha, gesturing towards her belly. How long? Any day now. You have a doctor at hand? Killed three weeks ago. Then I'm not leaving your side, Tabitha. I'll hold on. Got pregnant around mid-September of last year. Could still be two weeks away. So you had that bun in the oven when we met? You should have told me. I'd have... uh... This last bit was kind of a strangled whisper, and I wish I hadn't said it at all. I didn't know for sure, and it was nobody's business but mine. Certainly the father had no interest in raising a baby, but I most definitely do. So I took what I needed from him. Can you feel movement? She nodded, her eyes a great deal more fearful than her words. Well, that puts us in a bit of a predicament, because I agree with James. Me too. There is no way we can leave you in this state. Let's just get you to that door first. Jae-hyun will hold the fort. We'll deal with my delicate situation and what's to be done about this place after that. From the Journal of Agent Jeremy Pines, Sixel Creek Mine, Missouri, June 3rd, 1883. The journey out to the anomaly was a short one. But I had been bouncing in my seat for days, weeks, months, and if I'm honest, decades, waiting to get to this point. And now, we were finally there. Just over this hill. Tabitha directed and Steamheart drew up and over the ridge. I saw below us a wide plain with a smear in the air, hovering some thirty feet up, like a distorted flaw in my vision. As we drew nearer, my gaze stayed upon it and the sky sweeping away over the prairie perfectly framed this tear. The clouds behind it were mountainous, golden-hued in the sunset, looking as Renaissance paintings had portrayed them to be, like nothing so much as the platform of the gods. There was quite a bit of debris beneath the door. People had camped under it, and scattered charcoal stains littered the area, along with junk like a stripped-down wagon, a giant basket, burned and wilted, an absurdly placed old American flag with 37 stars embroidered upon it, like any other country could claim this as their own. As we pulled up, I popped the hatch and sprang forth, sprinting over to Stan looking up. From this position, I could make out the signature rushing sound on the wind, exactly how I'd heard it described and how I'd imagined. It was hard to tell how high the anomaly was from this position, because I had no real idea of the relative size thing could have been smaller and closer for all I knew, or way up in Gargantuan. I ran around the area, squinting up at it as the crew of Steamheart disembarked and joined me. Poor Tabitha heaving herself along to stand wearily, squinting up at what must now be quite mundane to her. We should have brought a ladder. I'd been so stupid. 
I knew this anomaly was bound up in the air. I knew I would be standing in this spot, or at least hoped. I had been so caught up in the notion of just getting close to it that now I was. The chance to venture through, or even just put my hand up against it, was agonizingly tantalizing. We can't go through. Not this one. We're here to study it and see what James and Abigail can do now that they're in close proximity. I'm not sure, Frank. I can definitely feel it. But maybe we should attempt to make physical contact. Maybe that's what's required to close them. He made a motion with his hands, holding them wide and slowly drawing them together. Well, we could go back to Jefferson. See if we can get a ladder there. It's going to be huge, though. It would have to be 30 feet at least. And a stepladder, since we have no building to lean it against. Which means someone would have to make it. Right. And that's going to take days. If we even find a trustworthy carpenter prepared to take a job like this. Even then, you would wind up standing on a rickety run, hovering over a fall that would most probably kill you. Right beside an anomaly that we don't yet know the nature of. Something could come out. It could get bigger. It could explode. And even if it doesn't, if anyone actually goes through, they're going to fall 30 feet straight down the other side. And then... Shh, quiet, all of you. The voice came from Raven. It was commanding and stern. We turned to see that Abigail had paced out under the wind door and had her eyes closed and hand outstretched. I think... I think I got it. There was a breathless moment of concentration. James, help her. Annie urged and waved him across. The Dr. Wen stood beside his companion and held out his hand, his face a mask of pressure. His arm dropped and his shoulders slumped. Oh, it's not good. Whatever connection she's making, I don't have it. It's okay, James. And as she spoke, the doorway began to visibly close. The edges glowed and I felt tears prick at my eyes. I was so close to that other world. Those other people in this rare, beautiful occurrence was being wiped from existence, collapsing in on itself like a dying star. I'm doing it. And she really was. Her long coat blew back and her red hair whipped in the wind as the sound of this thing changed with its scale. Soon it looked from here to be the size of a cartwheel, a serving tray, a dinner plate, a baseball. And eventually, an acorn. That bright spot hung in the air for a few seconds more, growing in intensity until pop. Like the brightest of bubbles, it was gone. The team regarded Abigail with newfound respect. How did you... I went to the place in my head that I was. That night we ate the mushrooms. And last year when we found the orb... That attic up there in my mind. The door is most always locked, but if I really loosen up and take myself away from where I'm standing, I can just walk through it, I suppose. You did it. You've proved this can work. We're not out here for nothing. Yes. Well done, Abigail. I think this calls for a little bit of a celebration. I've got some honey bourbon back in the craft that I've been saving for... What's up, Tabitha? The lady was standing, staring at a small splash of liquid emerging from the hem of her dress, landing upon the grass. 
It started. We have to get you back to Sixville Creek. A nervous new optimism gripped the team as we bundled back into Steamheart. I stayed to the rear carriage and looked out the back porthole as we drew away from this site, which until just minutes ago had housed one of the most astonishing phenomena upon this planet. Now, it was merely scrubland again, adorned with an out-of-date flag. James. I kept Tabitha calm and stable as we took the journey back. I insisted we go slowly, as it was more important to not excite and upset her than it was to get to her facilities. Her labor could take a day or more to reach its conclusion. When we got back there, through the gate, and after we had explained the new situation to the skeleton staff of the mine, we moved Tabitha up to her bedroom above her office. There was a big to-do initially, but after about three hours and no sign of the baby, everybody made their excuses and went off to sleep, or else hung around in the corridor outside at my insistence. At around eleven, Harry entered. Uh, sorry to intrude. I looked up from Bleak House, which I was reading to Tabitha, to take her mind off things. That's absolutely fine, Harry. Neither of us will be sleeping tonight. Could I have a little word with, with Tabitha, please? With me? Yes, ma'am. It's, uh, it's private. Sure, I've got the time. (sighs) Tabitha winced and panted as a contraction gripped her body. Still twelve minutes apart. We're doing all right. Call me if you need me. I'm just outside. As I made to leave, Harry placed a hand to my elbow. James? Uh, are you and Abigail going... Going to get married? What? Like in the future. Do you see that happening? Do you mean are we going to have a baby? Like Tabitha? Well, that too, but... I I don't know. The events of the afternoon played out in my mind, as they had done over and over since Abigail had proved herself. Far from bringing us together, they had outlined how surplus to requirement I was. (sighs) Probably not. Oh. It felt a shame to disappoint her like this, but we shall remain friends. I hope. Yeah. She nodded, and I showed myself out. Tabitha. I beckoned her over to sit at the foot of the bed. I was trying my best not to be hostile, anticipating the next contraction in ten minutes. So what can I do for you, Miss Arlington? Well, it's about you. What about me? You're doing this without a man. Is there a problem with that? Uh, No, no, not at all. I think you're brave as hell. Thank you. What I mean is, do you... Do you like men? Oh. Like, you know, like them? Nope. (laughs) Not in the way you're reckoning. I'll work with them. I've had a few rolls in the hay. Not really my thing. (laughs) That they, of course, have their uses. I patted my belly affectionately, trying my best to keep the trembling of my hands under control. Does does that mean you like girls instead? Again, in in that way. (laughs) This was adorable. Yes, Harry. I learned a long while ago that if anyone's gonna make my heart flutter, it's another lady. How did you know? How do other girls feel when they look at boys? It's the same thing. 
And, of, of course, you can feel similarly about both as well. Why, Harry? Are you feeling conflicted between liking boys and girls? Kind of. Because I know I'm supposed to marry a man. And when I met James, I, I thought to myself, well, this one's all right. The doctor? <laughs> You've got good taste. He's kind, smart, and, and polite. I like that a lot. But he doesn't make my heart flutter like... She broke off and looked furtive, ashamed. You and Abigail are friends, right? Oh, I'm not in love with Abigail. We just spent a little time together last year and... What? <laughs> Curiosity burned in her eyes as she leaned forward. I glanced away, holding back a combination of embarrassment and fondly recalled excitement. Well, let's just say I found out for sure that Abigail likes both boys and girls in that way. Really? She was shivering now, but definitely not with fear. Really? Do you like her that way, then? I, I, I do. I, I really do. <laughs> the dear girl was practically hyperventilating now. And, and, and like I said, I know... I know I'm supposed to marry someone like James, and, 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 and that would be all right, but I'd really, really like to marry someone like Abigail instead, and, and that's not allowed, is it? No, it's not. Her expression grew sad. I should have asked my mother about this. Laws are being changed and rewritten all the time. But I've kept my eye on that particular one, and they don't seem at all interested in changing it. She looked disconsolate at this. And a little teary. So I have to marry James? Not at all. Oh? And, marriage aside, there's definitely other things you can do. On your own, or with other girls. Once you know how a lady's body works. I want to. I, I definitely want to. Oh, yes. I couldn't keep my eyebrow down at her assurance on this one. I'm a mechanic and an inventor. And I like to know how everything functions. And I learn best through experimentation. Then... I ground my teeth as my body contracted once more. She put her hand on mine and we breathed through it together. Everything all right? We're fine, Doc. Go get yourself a cup of tea. He nodded and closed the door. I looked Harry in the eye. Now what do you need to know? listening to episode 19 of Steamheart, The Woman on the Zinc Mine, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Tabitha Chorley, performed by Maureen Foley. 
Harriet Arlington and Annie Oakley, performed by Loretta Saylor. Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. James Penrose and Raven, performed by Alex Shaw. Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Jay Hune, performed by Paul Hikari. Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. Claire de Lune, composed by Claude Debussy. Smoking Gun, To the Ends, Summer Day, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Thank you to our $15 patrons, Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Timothy Green, Matthew S- Matthew A. Siebert, Benjamin Biddle, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Junkius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm. Lesbian relationships in early white America were uncommon. Laws were suggested as far back as 1636 by clergyman John Cotton that equated sodomy, which apparently was a good blanket term for all kinds of gay sex, with bestiality, punishable by death. The law was not passed. In 1779, venerated founding father Thomas Jefferson proposed a law stating that whosoever shall be guilty of rape, polygamy, or sodomy with a man or a woman shall be punished. If a man by castration, if a woman by cutting through the cartilage of her nose, a hole of one half inch diameter at the least, which seems alarmingly specific as a punishment, that law was also not passed. By the 19th century, lesbians were only accepted if they hid their sexual orientation and were presumed to be merely friends with their partners. The term Boston marriage was used to describe a committed relationship between two unmarried women who were usually financially independent and often shared a house. These relationships were presumed to be asexual and hence the women were respected as spinsters by their communities. I suppose it's better than a hole in the head. <laughs> 